We have another long insert. Um, don't get used to these, but um, I'm, I'm really enjoying this uh, this series. Um, uh, I'm doing more work, um, and I'm actually kind of enjoying that. So, um, uh, so what we are in is a series of messages called uh, questions, and the idea of questions is um, that there are there are questions that are being posed to the church. I think it's more socially acceptable nowadays to question uh, Christianity than it was maybe 50 or 100 years ago. So there are more questions. Um, and what we're finding is that some of them are very good questions. So a couple of, about a month ago, we had this survey, and uh, I know a number of you filled it out. So um, last week we looked at we looked at the most popular question, or the one that most of you were interested in, I guess I should say, and that was the question about the virtuous heathen. And what we learned about the virtuous heathen, the virtuous uh, person who does not know anything about Jesus, what what will happen to them? And what we what we saw last week is that we are to have hope for them, um, but we don't know that that God has a plan for the virtuous heathen, um, but at the same time, um, God. Has the, the, the plan involves us, and God doesn't let us off the hook and say, don't worry about it, you just do your own thing and I'll take care of them. God says, no, I have a plan for them, and the plan involves you. So uh, that's what we saw last week about uh, the, the virtuous heathen. And remember I mentioned that I get to say heathen because we're in a church and I'm just with us, but um, but don't use it out there because it has become kind of a negative term. Um, so so um, it's a technical term today. All right. So I want to talk about truth claims uh, today. Last week, we, we kind of bumped up against truth claims. And truth claims um, are what we're going to talk about today. There were two questions that were um, after after the one about the virtuous heathen. Uh, they were the most popular questions. And so they are these. Aren't all religions basically the same? And um, why do Christians think that they have a monopoly on the truth? So the two of these are related, as I as I hope to show you. Um, so we'll begin with the first one. Aren't all religions basically the same? Uh, you've probably heard something like this. You know, you turn on, um, turn on uh, Oprah or something like that, and there's this general idea out there floating out there in the world that really it's okay. All religions are saying there's, there's a number of paths to God, and it doesn't matter whether you're, whether you're a Hindu or a Muslim or uh, a follower of Jesus, that ultimately we all arrive at God because all religions are basically the same. You've probably heard something along those lines. But my response to that, and maybe your response to it was, well, if they were the same, why do we disagree so much? If 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 they're all the same, then how come we disagree? And um, this is true not just of Christianity. Of course, it's true of Christianity. You know, uh, if if somebody asks me that question honestly, they say um, we're, we're all alike. We all agree. I would say, have you ever met any Christians? Because we don't agree, right? We disagree on all kinds of things, but. But um, that's not just true of Christians. It's true of Jews. You know, if you if you know any Jews, there are Orthodox Jews, there are conservative Jews, there are Reformed Jews. If you know any Muslims, there are Shia and Sunni. And the same is true of all kinds of religions, that, that there are all kinds of religions that disagree about things. And, of course, then the religions disagree among themselves. So, so if all religions are... Um, a path to God, if all religions are basically the same, why do they disagree? And so the response to that is usually, well, I said basically. I said they're basically the same. I mean, there's some surface differences, but but they're not really the same. So so um, that leads us to a common parable. Maybe you've heard this parable. It's the parable of the elephant. 
And um, it's an old story. Uh, here's a picture from 1909, I believe, and here's one from the late 1800s. Um, here's one from 1672 in Japan. So it's a story about um, an elephant and a bunch of blind men, and the blind men are feeling it. And so one of them feels the uh, the ear, and he says um, the the elephant is uh, very much like a plant, a big you know leafy plant. Somebody else feels the nose and says it's like a snake that eats carrots. Somebody else uh, looks at the side or doesn't look but feels the side and says it's like a wall. Um, somebody else looks at the, or feels the legs and says an elephant is like, is like a tree. And somebody else says, well, actually an elephant is like a sharp pointy thing. So, so, so in this metaphor, the elephant metaphor, this is the idea that there's the elephant and you know the the trunk is Scientology and the tusks are Buddhism and so forth. So so Christianity is the legs, but they're all basically the same thing. And if we only could see, then we would realize that. So that's that's the parable of the elephant, and um, that raises the question: well, What's wrong with that? Well, why is that not a good explanation? And to do that, I want to talk about truth. So there are there are two kinds of truth. There's there's known truth and unknown truth. There are truths that we just don't understand, right? Um, my head's too small to understand, you know, all kinds of stuff. But there there are things that I can't know. But there are people who are smarter than me, and there are still things that they can't understand. Uh, nobody can even in principle understand what happened before the Big Bang. It's an unknowable truth. I mean, something happened. But there's no way to know it, even in principle. So, so there are knowable truths, things we can know, um, and maybe I do know them, or maybe I don't, but somebody smarter than me knows, um, somebody who's studied more knows. So there's two kinds of truth, knowable and unknowable. And when we talk about God, as, as when we're having a discussion about God and truth, uh, the words we use for those are revelation and mystery. That God um, is invisible, so anything we know about God is something that God has revealed to us. That we can't, we can't just go, you know, find God on our own, that God has to reveal it. But God doesn't necessarily reveal all of, of who He is. So there is a revelation to God and there is also a mystery to God. So there's the knowable and the unknowable. Now, I want to go back to the idea of truth as being known and unknown. So imagine if we put all the unknown things in the universe or and beyond the universe, all the unknown things that there could possibly be in a big sack of unknown truth. Okay, so so I've, I've got an unknown sack there, or a sack, and nobody knows what's inside that sack, okay? And then we arrange the religions of the world around it. Okay, and we say we know we have some some revealed understanding of uh, the 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 God of uh, the Hebrew Bible and and the God that Christians um, believe Jesus called Father. Father. So uh, Allah, Zeus, um, Eric Clapton, um, the flying the flying spaghetti monster. Um, I can't read; my eyes are so bad. Ganesh. Um, and Athena. So, so all the different gods of the world are kind of seen partially, but there is an unknowable aspect to them that is inside the sack of unknown truth. Okay, so if you think about it, that's not a bad idea, right? So, so that's kind of like an elephant, right? So, it's elephant isn't kind of kind of sharp pointed like that, but it's an interesting idea, right? So, what's what's wrong with this picture? Well, what's wrong with the picture is that unknown means unknown, right? You can't say, see, I'm standing off to one side and I'm looking at the elephant. The rest of you are just groping around in the dark and you feel the ear or you feel the tusk and you 
think it's one thing. But I have this privileged position, and I can stand off to one side, and I can see that it's really an elephant. Unknown means unknown. Are those circles connected? Are they not? We don't know. We can't know because it is unknown. All we have is revealed truth. So anybody who says, well, all religions are the same, they are making a truth claim. They are saying, I have a religion. Okay, I have a faith that all religions are the same. And then you say, well, let's add your faith to that circle up there. Okay, you can have your own little spot on the elephant. And your faith says these are all one thing. But we don't know that because unknown means unknown. So that leads us to our first point. Nobody can see the whole elephant. Nobody can see the whole elephant. We've been cheating. We've been looking at the elephant from the side, but nobody can do that. We are all blind men groping along with the revelation we have. So that leads us now to the second question. The second question is, why do Christians think that they have a monopoly on the truth? And there are two answers. Habit and error. <laughs> so so um, let's, let's uh, unpack that a little bit. The first, the first part is habit. Why do Christians think they have a monopoly on the truth? Long, long habit. 1,706 years of habit, uh, dating back to October 28th, 312 A.D., uh, the Roman emperor, or he was about to be emperor, Constantine, he was having a quarrel with uh, some of the other candidates for emperor, and Constantine won a battle um, at the Milvian Bridge. It's misspelled in the, in the program. It's uh, the Milvian Bridge um, exactly 1,706 years ago today. And when that happened, Christianity became legal, which was a good thing, but it also became imperial. So uh, I, it's hard to say, was Constantine's victory a good thing or a bad thing? Constantine legalized Christianity, and within about 50 years, it had become the state religion of Rome. And then everything, um, everything good that has flowed from that and everything bad that has flowed from that are all kind of a, a package deal. And you can't, you can't take legalized Christianity without also getting maybe the Inquisition. So, so that is what I mean by habit. Um, once... once uh, once Christianity became the state religion, it became something that the state sometimes abused. So that's the Battle of the Milvian Bridge, and there's Constantine there on his white horse. Um, but that's an error. How do we know it's an error? Because Jesus told us that the rulers of the world lord it over their subjects, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But Jesus specifically said, among you, it will be different. Jesus never called us to rule other people in his name. Jesus called us to be witnesses, as we'll talk about later. Specifically, Jesus told us to love one another. Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. There's 613 commandments. Those are the old covenant. The new covenant is this, love one another. As I have loved you, you love one another. And by this, people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So what does that look like? Well, the Apostle Paul told us, and some of us have been in a wedding ceremony where we heard this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. How could you possibly have the Inquisition if Christians lived according to the dictates of love, as Paul talks about here? It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. Paul says, uh, in the same letter, Paul says, it's not my responsibility to judge outsiders. That Christians are only ever permitted to judge people inside the church. 
that we cannot judge people outside the church. That's not our job. That's God's job. He says, you may judge people inside the church. So what does it look like to judge people inside the earth? Well, I mean, inside the church. Uh, James tells us if someone among you, so someone inside the church, wanders away from the truth and is brought back, whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and will bring about the forgiveness of many sins. He says that's what it looks like to judge someone inside the church, to help them back to the truth, not to judge them and condemn them and cast them out. So I don't know what happened to your mom. I don't know what happened to your brother. But this is what the church is called to do. And if we stray from this, it is because of habit, the imperial habit that has, uh, still clings to the church today. But there's another type of error. The other type of error is that nobody um, can monopolize revealed truth. Remember, we talked about how, how, how Christianity is a revealed religion, that we don't believe we can just kind of figure out God by walking up and, and you know, looking at God, that, that God is invisible. And the only way we can know anything about God is that God is revealed to us. God chooses to reveal something to us. So we, we had this picture before. Christians actually have a more complicated view of it. We say there's two types of revelation. There's general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is what's available to people generally. And then special revelation is people, is information, uh, is revelations available specifically to certain people. So an example of general revelation, the heavens uh, proclaim the glory of God, the skies display his craftsmanship, their message goes out throughout the whole earth. Anybody can look up in the night sky, anybody can see the stars and wonder about God because they see they see his fingerprints all throughout creation. So that's general revelation. Anybody can do that. But there is also special revelation. Paul talks about that in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, God has revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which was to fill his own good plan. That there are things we could never have guessed. We wouldn't have guessed except that God chose to reveal his plans to us. And because both types of revelation are a gift, God doesn't owe us either one. Because of that, we have to receive them as a gift. We can't hold on to them as if they were something we we owned that we could possess for ourselves. Um, Paul talks about um, he talks about the, the message of Christianity. He says, "What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as if it were not a gift? That this is not something we can own." So it's an error. Um, it's an error to to act as if we have uh, been given some unique understanding of the truth that nobody else can have. So that's an error. And it's even more of an error when the truth is a person, because we believe that God is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. The, um, the writer of the letter of the Hebrews said that now in these final days, God has spoken to us through his son, not through prophets, not through sacred texts, but actually through a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And the writer of Colossians says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That when we look at Christ, we see God. Jesus says that there is an authentic witness to him in the sacred texts of the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. Jesus took them through the writings of the Moses and all the prophets explaining all the scripture, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus says, says, some of you won't have the privilege that my apostles did. You won't be able to see me face to face. So how can you see me? What good does it do to look at me if if you can't see me, right? Yes, if you can look at me, you see God, but I'm not around visibly anymore. How can you see me? Jesus himself said, 
The scriptures bear witness to him. That if we look at the scriptures for Jesus, we will see him. And by seeing him in scripture, we understand God. The apostles, when they did that, they their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures? How did he explain the scriptures? He pointed out what they told about him. That when we when we ask questions about, you know, what does it mean in Leviticus this or, or Genesis that, when we're wondering what's going on with King Manasseh, that, that those questions are really irrelevant to followers of Jesus, except insofar as they point us to Jesus. That it is when the scriptures speak about Jesus that they speak clearly to us. So, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. And he tells us that we have help, that we don't have to just kind of struggle our way through the scriptures and say, I think this is about Jesus, maybe, maybe not, that we have, we have celestial help, that God sent his spirit of truth to guide us into all truth. So, that raises the question, okay, it's an error to think that we have a monopoly on truth. That's just flat out. We can apologize. We can be big enough. If somebody says, you Christians act like, act like you have a monopoly on truth, you can say, yes, I know, but it's a long habit and we're trying to eradicate it. Sorry, this is the problem. Right? But then that leaves the question, okay, where do we go from here? What can we do to correct the, the error? Well, Jesus told his disciples to be witnesses. Oop. So um, Jesus told his disciples to be witnesses. So specifically, he said, you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that this is an ongoing mission, that in every age, the church has the mission of being bearing witness to Jesus. So what does that witness look like? Is that like standing on a street corner shouting at people, they're going to burn in hell? Well, um, that may be a piece of it, but it's got to fit in with this because because we learn in Second Corinthians that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation that if you can stand in a street corner and preach fire and brimstone, that's great, but only insofar as you're able to do it uh, as a wonderful message and um, in, a, in a spirit of reconciliation. And that raises the, the second part of the, of that point. Jesus told his disciples to be witnesses, not hypocrites. I think so often Christians are hypocrites because we hold on to the truth we believe. We're afraid of being accused that we don't, we don't love Buddhists or we don't love, uh, uh, Muslims. And so, you know what? I, I felt my own particular elephant and it felt this way to me, but you know what? I'll just be quiet. So I'm going to believe something. I'm going to live my life as if something was true, but I'm not going to share it with anybody. I'm going to just kind of, you know, hunker down and, you know, I want to be liked. I want to be, I want to be admired as a very open and tolerant person. So I'm going to be a hypocrite. I'm going to believe one thing. I'm going to live my life one thing, but I'm never going to share that with anybody else, even though my faith calls me to share it with other people. Jesus told us not to be hypocrites. He said, and this, the second half of that part from Second um, Corinthians, Paul finishes that passage saying this, we are Christ's ambassadors. That Jesus has sent us into the world as ambassadors to make his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. How do we do that? Well, we do it by living our lives as Jesus did. 
So again, I don't see, when I look at the New Testament records, I don't see any signs of Jesus standing on a street corner haranguing people and telling them that they were going to go to hell because of their lifestyle. So they should live their lives, Christians should live their lives as Jesus did. In Colossians, Paul writes that we should put on our new nature, that we have been given a new nature in Christ, and we are to put it on and be renewed as we learn to know our Creator and as we become like Him, that we become like Jesus. And that is how we bear witness to him. We're not simply anymore telling people what we learned about Jesus. We're talking about what Jesus has done in us. So we bear witness not only to the Jesus we've learned about, but the Jesus that we have encountered. And because we are like Jesus, we hold truth and tension with grace. We can never simply be about truth any more than we can simply be about grace. Our the, the little proof text, I'm not good at proof texting, and I would have read this twice. The, the proof text in the, in, the, in the bulletin is from the New Living Translation, which I really like. It's, it's my favorite kind of go-to reading translation, and it's generally a good translation, but they really didn't get this one right. So in the program, um, there's, there's a different translation. So it says, And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. I don't know how they got the version in the New New Living Translation. And in fact, as you see, that's from the NRSV that I just quoted. But the NIV, the ESV, the CEB, I couldn't find any other, um, even even the message. You know, some of you saw Eugene Peterson died this week. Um, His his very idiosyncratic translation, the message, um, I can't find any translation that gets it as wrong as the New Living Living, um, Translation. And that's, that makes me sad because I really like that translation, but uh, they just got it wrong, which is why you should have two Bibles, two different translations. And if you ever read something and you go, huh, that doesn't sound right, go look it up because it could be it's a translation error. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. All right, so it says, so the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Think of your favorite stories about Jesus. What sticks in your mind? They are the stories where there was truth, but Jesus showed grace. Jesus didn't simply say, here's the way it is. Let me, let me lay my guard, my God card on the table and you're gonna, you're gonna be suffering because you didn't know what I told you way back when. Jesus is all about the truth, but he's all about grace. John continues, the law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Uh, writing to the, writing to Titus, uh, Paul writes, the grace of God has been revealed. That what, what was revealed? When we think about that blue circle, you know, the green and blue circle, the, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, what was revealed? To Titus, he says, he says, what was revealed was grace. That we could never have guessed grace. If all we had was the law, if all we had was God's truth, that would never have told us what we needed to know, which is that Jesus is about grace. So how do we put that in practice? Be patient with everyone. I know some of you are saying, I already am. Well, how do the people you know best think about that? Are you, in fact, a very, very patient Christian? And when somebody comes up to you and says, you Christians are wrong, are you patient with them? Do you see to it that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people? Is that the way you see what it means to be a Christian, because that's what the scriptures tell us. That's how we read about it in the New Testament. And he says, that may not come naturally. So he says, clothe yourself, put it on, 
Even if you don't feel it. You know, I'm not feeling very patient. It's been a long day. He says, put it on. Put it on like a jacket. Clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Christians have all too often acted as if we had a monopoly on the truth. And we should hang on to that truth. We should not, we should not simply say, well, you know what? You're telling me it's a tusk, but it sure, sure feels like a leaf, you know, to me. It, you know, big floppy leaf. It does feel like a tree trunk. It feels like a wall. It feels like um, a snake that eats carrots. Right? And so because, because, because we don't want to be that kind of Christian. We don't want to be the dogmatic, insistent Christian. We say, you know what? It's probably an elephant. You're probably right. All I've got is the tree trunk. But, you know, you say it's a snake. You know, maybe it's all one big happy elephant. We don't know that. All we have, all we have is the tree trunk. All we have is Jesus. Jesus reveals God to us. So we are to hang on to the truth that we know about Jesus. We are to let it work in us and change us. And then we are to bear witness, to say, look, I know this much about that, that tree trunk, right? I don't know about the snake. I don't know about the elephant. You know, I don't, I don't know about your theories, right? But let's have a dialogue. But what I do know, what I do know is that this is what I've been, this is what I've encountered. This is what I've been taught. This is what I've encountered in my own life. We are to bear witness to Jesus, but to do so as he would do in a spirit of love and grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for, um, we give thanks for Jesus for, for showing us what you are really like. We could never have guessed that you are a God of, of grace, um, except, except once we saw Jesus, we can look back through all the scriptures and see grace, um, as we see him revealed throughout the whole Hebrew scriptures. Lord, help us to become like him. Help us to put on patience and love and charity, all those things that don't, um, that don't come naturally to us. And so by doing so, Lord, let us bear witness. Let us, let us say, this is the truth we have. And, uh, we're not telling other people we're wrong. We're simply saying, this is the thing I know. And then being respectful and having dialogue. We pray it all through Christ our Lord. Amen.